Now, I do think it's important to note that cannabis isn't the only way to engage your endocannabinoid system. There are endocannabinoids in various types of foods, so you are engaging your endocannabinoid system most likely in a very subtle way without even knowing. Okay, on today's episode, we're going to talk about this system that all of us have in our bodies, but maybe don't know about in the same way that we do, say, our nervous system. So all of us in the human and some animal population have what is called a endocannabinoid system. Um, As you'll see out there, it's also referred to as the ECS, which is short for endocannabinoid system. So what is this system that all of us have, but maybe some of us are just learning about? Essentially, think of it like the system in your body that regulates homeostasis. And to better explain what homeostasis is, let's call it balance. It is um, operating within your body, helping your body and all of its other systems create balance and fight things that want to throw your body out of balance. To get a bit more technical, it's a complex cell signaling system within our body. It plays a very crucial role in regulating various physiological processes within our body. But how wild is it that some of you listening now have never even heard of it and have no idea how to service it? Today I wanna talk about the history of our endocannabinoid system, meaning when did we first discover it? How long have we known about this and kept it from the mass population? and then talk about ways that I like to say servicing our system or the endocannabinoid system. To me, it's one of the most important systems that we have in our body because it fights those imbalances that allow us to work on all the other things. Okay, so I've said some big words like endocannabinoid system and homeostasis. So I wanna try to relate it to something we might be more familiar with so we can truly understand what this function is in our body. So for any camera savvy people out there, think of it like a gimbal, which is essentially when you have a camera on this equipment and you're moving all around, but the camera stays perfectly still. Um, So it's creating stability no matter what's coming at it from the outside, it's keeping the camera still. Or to make it even more relatable, think about the shocks on your car. While some cars have better shocks than others, just like our bodies, some bodies have better endocannabinoid systems than others, um, the shock's intentions in their function is to keep you in the car as stable as possible, no matter what terrain you're going over. So that's really what the endocannabinoid system is trying to do in our body. It's trying to keep stability within our body despite outside factors coming, trying to disturb it. So it's trying to keep our body in balance so that all the functions that happen in our body can happen in a functional way with balance without putting too much stress on one part of our body. The same way if you were driving a car and the shocks were out on one side, it would be a really uncomfortable ride. What the endocannabinoid system is essentially doing in our bodies. Okay, so that's kind of the basics. So we've got the endocannabinoid system. In short, it's called ECS creates homeostasis in the body. So we can really think about it like a gimbal or our suspension of our body. If it isn't clicking yet, it is important to note that homeostasis is crucial for overall health and it ensures that our cells can function optimally no matter what our changing environments are. So just to drive this home, so our ability to dynamically adjust to outside forces 
helps us have optimal cell function. Now, I think it's important to know, okay, we've got this system in our body. When in the hell did we discover it? And what's happened? Why aren't we talking about it more in our normal healthcare offices? Um, why isn't it something that we're taught in school? So let's talk about the timeline of it. The endocannabinoid system was not fully understood until relatively recently. The discovery of the ECS can be attributed to several key milestones. In 1964, the first major milestone was the discovery of the Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, our favorite molecule that this plant has. This is the psychoactive component of cannabis, and the gentleman who discovered this is Dr. Raphael Meshalem and his team. And Raphael and his team really, them discovering this cannabinoid launched a lot more research into the plant and the different compounds that it has. And because they discovered this is why we're working with cannabinoids in the way that we're working with them today. So thank you, Dr. Meshalem. 1964, discovered THC. Then in 1988, the CB1 receptor was first identified by researchers Alan Hallett and William Devane. This receptor was found predominantly in the brain and central nervous system. Now, the story the story of what Lynn and her researchers were doing at that time is something that we're going to dive into in later episodes because her findings and how politics and big pharma play into it are a story worth telling. So 1988, we have some other researchers. Now they're starting to discover receptors inside of our body. Then in 1992, the CB2 receptor was discovered again by researchers working with Dr. Meshalem. This CB2 receptor was found more abundantly in the immune system and peripheral tissues. So we're going to show a little picture here on the video, essentially showing that at this time in 1992, we have now identified that we have two different key types of receptors in our body in different systems. So whether it's in the central nervous system with the CB1 receptor, or whether it's in our immune system and peripheral tissues with the CB2 receptors. So we've now identified compounds in the plant, and then we're identifying where in our bodies are we able to interact with these compounds with the receptor sites. Then in 1995, the key discovery of anandamide was discovered. This is the first endocannabinoid, again discovered by Dr. Raphael Meshalem and his team. Anandamide was found to bind to both the CB1 and CB2 receptors. So if you're just kind of imagining this timeline, we discover the plant has these compounds, we discover that we have these receptor sites within our bodies, and now we're discovering the first endocannabinoid that we know is going to really engage with both of these types of receptors. Then in 1997, the second endocannabinoid, which is 2-AG, was discovered by researchers Shimon Ben Shabbat and Lumar. Like anandamide, 2-AG, AG was found to interact with CB1 and CB2 receptors. So we are just continuing to find through research all over the world that this plant has compounds that work really well with a system inside of our body, our endocannabinoid system. And we're really just starting to understand the multitude of applications that the plant can have, whether that is one cannabinoid in isolation or a mix of several different cannabinoids, we're figuring it out. So I just find it absolutely 
absolutely fascinating that here we are in 2023 with well-documented research that we have these systems, yet I bet maybe only two out of 10 Americans today know what the hell an endocannabinoid system, um, and maybe they do know what the endocannabinoid system is, but they don't know how to service it. So I'm gonna kind of tie it back into servicing our systems. This is a huge reason why I do the work that I do at Canvas Supply Company in Cultivate Tennessee. I have this strong calling to help people service their endocannabinoid systems through the smart use of cannabis. And why I say smart use of cannabis is we're about to start talking about different um, consumption methods of cannabis. And while I think it is important that everyone consume a what's right for them in cannabis, there is such a thing as overstimulating your endocannabinoid system. So as we start to break down what are the different consumption methods and how someone who might be new to using cannabis and servicing their endocannabinoid system, I just like to say it's always best to go low and slow and really give yourself time to calibrate um, engaging your endocannabinoid system for the first time. Now, I do think it's important to note that cannabis isn't the only way to engage your endocannabinoid system. There are endocannabinoids in various types of foods, so you are engaging your endocannabinoid system most likely in a very subtle way without even knowing. If you'd like to take it up a notch, though, cannabis is a great way to um, supercharge your intake of endocannabinoids for better homeostasis in your body. I know we all like to think we're healthy, um, but the reality is, is that even the most healthiest of us all always have room to better fight inflammation and bring more and more balance into our lives. Okay, so how do I feed my endocannabinoid system with something like cannabis? So we know we have our endocannabinoid system. Now, how do I consume cannabis in a way that can engage these systems? So now we're going to start talking about the different types of consumption methods. So if you now understand what the endocannabinoid system is and you're looking for ways that you can, you know, service or feed your system, here's how. So we have smoking, which is going to include both vaping, so vaporizing cannabinoids, no combustion involved, and then combustion. So this would be like smoking a joint or a blunt. So there is flame involved. Then we have sublinguals. So that's where you're going to get that absorption through your mouth. Then we have edibles. So you're going to get that absorption through the gut. And then we also have topicals. So you're absorbing it transdermally through your skin. So we'll talk about inhalation first. Um, so we have smoking. So when you think of smoking, I want you to think about joints or blunts. So I have to introduce flame uh, to this product and it's going to take the plant, raw plant material and create a smoke and I'm going to inhale the smoke and get the absorption through that method. That smoke contains cannabinoids like THC and CBD, which are absorbed through the lungs and rapidly through that into our bloodstream. This method provides very quick onset, usually within minutes, but the effects can wear off quickly as well. So again, we'll drill down on consumption methods later, but for smoking, think quick on, quick off. Then within the inhalation category, we have vaping. 
So vaping is very similar to smoking, but instead of adding flame to create the smoke to inhale, we're just adding heat, which is gonna create a vapor for us to inhale. None of this is health claims, and it's only my personal journey that I'm sharing with you. My personal preference is vaping because it produces less byproduct. Now that's not to say I'll smoke um, every now and then, but vaping feels to me like a cleaner inhalation method. Now vaping, like smoking, is gonna have that quick on, quick off. Um, so a lot of people will vape more frequently throughout the day as opposed to something like sublinguals or edibles, which we'll talk about now. So when we're talking about edibles, similar to talking about smoking, there's two key categories under that. So we have sublinguals and ingestibles. So sublinguals is something that we're consuming and getting the absorption through our mouths. So the cannabinoids are entering our bloodstream through our mouths. And if you've ever taken um, any other wellness tinctures like elderberry or collodial silver, where you're leaving it in your mouth, maybe under your tongue to get absorption, cannabis sublinguals would be the same way. So it's really important to note that the key difference to sublinguals and ingestibles is when you're taking that cannabinoid and absorbing it sublingually through your mouth, that cannabinoid is staying as it is, meaning if you are putting CBD or THC in your mouth, it's staying THC. If you ingest it, which we'll talk about in a second, it's going to turn into something else in your gut where you're getting the absorption. So sublinguals can look like tinctures that you put under your tongue and hold before you swallow. And so you're getting that, again, rapid bloodstream absorption through your mouth. Or they could look like hard candies or pastilles, if you think like Smarties. So you're sucking on them. You're never really chewing or eating it. You're just holding it in your mouth, moving it around, and you're getting the cannabis absorption that way. Then we have edibles. So this is something that you're gonna put in your mouth, chew, and eat. And so the there's something really different that happens once you consume cannabinoids into your gut and it gets introduced with all of the different acids in your gut. When consumed, cannabinoids are metabolized by the liver and the biggest thing to talk about here is THC in particular. THC, when metabolized by the liver, converts into a more potent form called 11-hydroxy-THC. So, what does that mean? It isn't anything too scary. It just means that our bodies are taking the THC molecule and turning it into something else. And that something else is 11-hydroxy-THC, and that's what we're absorbing. We're not actually, when we eat something, absorbing straight THC. It goes through that conversion process first, then we absorb that. There's also a big process delay when we ingest something through our gut. So. It can take some people up to an hour to two hours before they feel that onset because the body is in that conversion process. To touch on again, we were talking about onset and offset and how quick it can be with something like vaping or smoking. And then with edibles, you are going to see, and sublinguals, a slightly delayed onset and offset. So if I'm putting them in category, I'm maybe vape is gonna have the quickest onset, then smoking, then sublinguals, then ingestible edibles. And like I mentioned earlier, it's just so, so, so important, important with any of these methods, if you're a first time cannabis user, start low and go slow, particularly if you're consuming a psychoactive cannabinoid like THC. 
If you're wondering what the potency of something like 11-hydroxy-THC is, it's probably about three times as potent as that initial THC molecule that you consumed. Um, this is why a lot of people that have, you know, maybe tried edibles for the first time or even seasoned edible consumers, it can really sneak up on you on the intensity level that you're feeling from consuming that edible. It's always good to remind everyone that you know, consuming cannabis is different for everyone. So while your buddy might be able to eat a 20 milligram cookie, you might not. So really starting low and finding the right dose for you. There's also capsules and pills. So similar to ingestibles, it's just something that we're swallowing. It's gonna go through that same process and it's gonna need that delayed start for onset, meaning because it's gotta go through the body um, and get prepared for absorption. Okay, so those are in essence, the consumption methods, there are, there is one more type of method. I like to call it an application method, not so much a consumption method, but that's topicals. And skin is our biggest organ, so we can absorb a lot transdermally through our skin. Topicals are primarily used for localized pain relief. You can put them on your skin by way of lotion or a transdermal patch in high absorption areas like your wrist or your neck. Some personal experience share, I've had some high impact injuries over the years and using cannabis both internally and externally um, on my skin in on some of the areas where I might have had the injury is great for pain relief. Um, for my grandparents, it was extremely helpful to them with arthritis as they, you know, continued to age through life. It really helped them in their knees and joints and hands. Each method of consumption affects the body differently due to variations in how the cannabinoids are absorbed and processed. Factors such as dosage, individual tolerance, and the ratio of the cannabinoids within the product, like THC to CBD, play a huge factor as well. It really is important to start with that low dose and start gauging your tolerance and desired outcome. The more mindful we can be about how we're absorbing and consuming cannabinoids, the greater outcome and effect we can have. Okay, so now I've told you about your endocannabinoid system and the way that you can service your system through cannabinoid intake. How can you test if it's working? Well, at this day and age, in 2023, there is currently no test um, per se, to see that your endocannabinoid system is regulated. But we might start seeing signs of regulation through things like better mental health, better sleep, better digestion, um, and better overall stress. I do think there will come a day and time where, you know, testing our endocannabinoid system on a basic blood panel will be a thing, and I'm excited for that. So just like a long walk is great for our nervous system, experimenting with cannabinoid intake is great for our endocannabinoid system, and I strongly encourage everyone to try it and find a way that works best for you. Since the endocannabinoid system is such a complex thing to talk about, I'm excited later on in the show to bring on specialists to really dive deep on the mechanics of it in our body. So I hope you stay tuned for that episode. 